consider once again the motive of the next generation. We've talked about the glory of the Lord and our acceptance in Christ, evangelism, the church, the word of God, or the truth. Uh, We've spent some time looking at those motives and whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. So really that would be the priority number one, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and doing all to his glory. And we know that the Ten Commandments are summarized in the two commandments that Jesus summarized them into, love God and and love our neighbor. And in loving our neighbor, that includes the next generation. And there's been, throughout history, there has been debates about the generation gap. And especially, it seems, with technology, that gap at times appears to be even greater because we have three and four-year-olds who are smarter with phones than grandmas and grandpas many times. And they can do things technologically that some uh, older people will never understand. And, And that's okay, but we shouldn't let those differences in technology keep us from relating to one another and administering to one another and seeing that God has called each of us to minister to each other. And that sometimes means that the younger people have to work a little harder at understanding the older generation, and the older generations have to work a little harder at coming uh, to the place of the younger generation and, and meeting somewhere in the middle and not just ignoring each other and pointing fingers at each other because every generation has its strengths and its weaknesses. Every single generation, whether we want to call it the baby boomers all the way down to Gen Z, Gen Alpha, they all have their strengths and weaknesses because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And various cultural uh, sins affect or are uh, more... uh, influential, influential, uh, whatever the case may be, it's important that we not neglect the younger generation or that the younger generations don't neglect or ignore uh, the older generations. One thing I have seen and heard over and over and over recently, especially since COVID, is how many older people, especially those living alone or uh, just having maybe some health issues or maybe even in a healthcare center. I have seen and heard too many times of children not taking care of their parents, not visiting them, not going out of their way to uh, just spend time with them. And there's an epidemic of loneliness that is affecting, uh, from what I'm hearing, those 65 and older. And many times it's because even if parents are still living at home, their children don't come and see them. Grandkids are rarely ever around. Sometimes that's due to distance, but I've heard too many times that it has nothing to do with distance. It has to do with just a disrespect or an an ignorance or an unwillingness. And I hate hate to hear that. I've been blessed uh, recently to see several very good examples of children taking care of elderly parents. And it has... It has really been a joy to see, and I'm very thankful for those. But uh, as we think about the core values that we must pass on, we go back to Judges chapter number 2, 
In verse number 6, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And then that vicious cycle that we see throughout the book of Judges, where every man is doing what is right in his own eyes, and then there would be oppression by some pagan nation, and then Israel would cry out in repentance and ask for deliverance, and God would send a judge, and there would be repentance, there would be deliverance, and then there would be a time of peace for a while, and then sadly Israel would return back to their sin, and that cycle would continue. And we see here the the, the lack of passing down to the next generation the works of the Lord. So what are these core values? We looked last week at the gospel, how important it is that we prepare the soil for the seeds of the gospel. It starts in the home, and it involves coming to church, and involves putting our children where they, are, they will hear the gospel, and where that is emphasized where the truth is uplifted, where Christ is preeminent. We talked about sound doctrine, how important it is for our young people. For instance, Kids for Truth, a program that not only gives them scripture memory, but gives them the principles, the the doctrines in, in basic form, but gives them the doctrines that support, or excuse me, the verses that support the doctrine, and they learn how that goes together, and then uh, we get uh, glimpses of that, of what they're learning. Some of you as uh, parents or grandparents are involved in the memory process or in going through their books and making sure they have their sashes and all that. That is so important. Uh, Some of us grew up maybe in Awana or in some other kids' program. We went to Sunday school. We came to church. How important it is for our children to sit under good Bible preaching and teaching and being in good children's programs that teach them the sound doctrines and the scriptures that go with them and support those. We need to cultivate a heart for God. That, again, comes through modeling and through example, but also just setting Christ, setting God before our children over and over and over and over again. Not in a hypocritical or lecturing, overbearing kind of way, not provoking our children to wrath, as we're warned not to do, but in a balanced and loving and caring, compassionate way, helping to turn our children's hearts and minds to the Lord and helping to cultivate in them a heart for God. We should model Christian living. Again, that has to do with the example, being an example of believers in word and conversation, charity and spirit and faith and purity, and then lovingly leading our families. And again, it's, it's repeated over and over, I know, but... Strong fathers make for strong homes. Strong godly fathers make for strong homes. Strong homes make for strong churches. Strong churches make for a strong nation. And and we have seen the the breakdown in the home, fatherless homes where dads are 
absent or ignorant or out to lunch or they're jellyfish, milk toast, and it affects the home. And it affects then the church and it affects the nation. But let's go on to number six. What else should we be passing down? Evangelism and discipleship. Seeing that we have a burden for souls, that we're going forth and teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Let me skip ahead in the, the slides. Uh, I believe it is uh, a little bit further down here, actually. There we are. And uh, let's uh, pick up here. And the verses then are on the screen for you. Luke 10 and verse 2, Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors into his harvest. One of the hardest prayers to pray as a parent is for our children not, not that we aren't praying for them to get saved. I'm saying beyond that, we're praying for them to get saved. We're, with, with the help of the Lord, we're preparing the soil for the seeds of the gospel. But one of the hardest prayers to pray as a parent is, Lord, take our children wherever you would want them. Even if that means the mission field. Even if that means into vocational ministry. Even if that means some other kind of, uh, of area of, of work or study. But... They go there and they serve the Lord there. And they're active in God's will and they're living for Christ. And, and again, I know my mom and dad prayed for me. I know that they prayed. And it was a prayer that only by God's grace do I stand here. This is not in any way, again, a pat on the back for, for myself. But I know that my mom and dad prayed. And I've prayed, Kelly and I have prayed for our children. Um, Wherever you would have them to go, we just want them to be in the center of God's will. We want them to do whatever it is that, that God would have them to do. And there are parents who have put their kids on a boat or an airplane, and they've not seen them for years. Grandkids born across the sea, um, only seeing them once every four years on a furlough. Those are hard things to, to have to do, but... There are times where God calls our children or our grandchildren into places where we know they are doing God's will and they're serving him faithfully there, but they're far apart. Thankfully, we have much more communication methods today, right? But it can be a heart-rendering thing. But when we know that they are doing what God has called them to do, what God has led them to do, then there is a great peace and comfort in that. But we have to, again, set the, the example where is our burden for the lost? What are we doing as far as discipleship and helping the next generation know the word of God and to obey God's word and to live that out? And how are we helping them in knowing God's will and doing God's will? And then number seven, one of the core values that we should be passing down is the one another principles. Again, so much of this is living it out so much of this is modeling and being an example of this, but helping them understand the one another principles of the scriptures. There are 31. Each of these could be a separate sermon. I'm going to read them just very quickly, okay? And I'm not going to be, I'm going to be like one of those commercials where they have the guy at the very end and the speed reader, okay? Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not judge, but build up one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another. Do not sue one another. Care for one another. Do not provoke and do not envy one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truthfully to one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Be in submission to one another. Bear with one another. Teach and admonish one another. Increase and abound in love for one another. Comfort one another. Encourage and build up one another. Be at peace with one another. Seek good for one another. Pray for one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Do not speak against one another. Do not grumble against one another. Confess to one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another. Be humble toward one another. Greet one another and have fellowship with one another. 31, one another principles. And all of those are to be primarily lived out in the church and with the people of God. That's a tremendous responsibility and burden, isn't it? And that's the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of the Christian life. That's the bread and butter of the Christian life. And we, we want to exempt ourselves from half a dozen or more of those, don't we? And it's rebuking, it's convicting, but that's what we should be living out. It's the kindly, uh, being kindly affectionate to one another and brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, being of the same mind, one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. I think we see the, the theme throughout those one another principles, and that is of humility, of service, of loving our neighbor. And then number eight, demonstrate the joy of Christian service. Demonstrate the joy of Christian service. And this is a, an area that can uh, be easily overlooked because we can get weary in well-doing. People can frustrate us. People can not change as quickly as we would like for them to change. People can disappoint us. But there is joy in serving Jesus. It's not just the song that we teach our children in Sunday school. There is real joy and satisfaction in serving the Lord. I know it means sometimes having to go out of our way, get up early, give of our time and our resources. But there is tremendous joy in serving the Lord. Romans 12 and verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And then Colossians 3 and verse 22, servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. I'm thankful for the many, many servants here. And there is joy it can take, again, extra time. Uh, there can be some of our own resources that are, are given and sacrificed. But every, every person from the nursery to the sound booth to the choir to song leading to security to gardening to blowing off the sidewalks. <laughs> um, there's so many areas. Uh, I, I'm going to leave out half a dozen or more. And, and I wish I could take time to name all the names. But... There is great joy in serving others. And we often don't think of it that way. Oh, it's going to take this much time, or it's going to interrupt my schedule, or I've got other things. And there's always, we, we always have other things to, to do. There, there's always something. And, and many times, if we're, if we're not in church, we're usually on social media or watching TV or doing something <laughs> that isn't, isn't spiritual. I'm not saying that we, we, we don't miss church for providential reasons. Of course we do. 
But much of this joy in serving Jesus, yes, it happens around the house as we serve one another in our homes, but much of this joy in Christian service is done in the ministries of the church. And, and there is great joy in that. I, I understand that it, it's not sometimes the, the nicest thing to clean up communion cups or clean out the dishes or follow up with tables and chairs and the dirty dishes and the, the coffee canisters. And um, sometimes it's little kids puke and uh, sometimes it's dirty diapers and on and on it goes. But all of that in the service of the Lord brings great joy and satisfaction. And so many times when there's a, lo a loss or a lack of joy, not always, but many times, there tends to be a self-focus and a pity party. And we live in a world of victim mentality. And we have to fight that, don't we? Because we want to walk around with a big storm cloud over our head and everybody feeling sorry for us. And then we take our blanket and we chew on it. And we want everybody to, and, and not that we don't need, obviously in the caring for one another, we need each other. But we're, we're really to be about serving. And how can we serve each other? And there is great joy in that. I've, I've mentioned it before, um, not that long ago, but I... To this day, I greatly appreciate um, Pastor Wayne Joyner as our youth pastor. We had some fun youth activities, but I'm also very thankful for, our, for my youth pastor because he had us out raking leaves and shoveling snow and serving in various ways around the church and in the neighborhood just as a youth activity. Uh, the, best youth activ the best attended youth activities were the fun ones, the Kings Island trips and the other games that we would do. And, and those were great. Those were great. But I so appreciated Pastor Wayne and the fact that he would put us into areas of service. And uh, we had such joy. I mean, you get a bunch of teenagers out raking leaves in a cold fall day where it's kind of raining. And what do us as boys do? We just kind of get a little extra dirty, don't we? And uh, somehow the leaves end up getting thrown around a little bit. But he was always there to make sure we got it, the mess cleaned back up and put in the bags. But there is joy in, in serving the Lord and serving others. Number nine, biblically balance our schedules and priorities. The next generation wants not just quality time, but they want quantity time. Now, I realize quantity time is primarily, number one, reserved for our family, okay, and I was taught, um, and I'm, I'm thankful for uh, good instruction, good help, that in order to have quality time with your children, you have to have quantity time. And, and it doesn't mean that there aren't gives and takes. There are, especially in the ministry. And there have been times where my kids have burst in my door in the middle of a phone call or a meeting, and I've had to say, just wait a minute, or I've apologized to the people that I'm meeting with, and what do you need, and take care of it, you know, there's, there's gives and takes, but the biblically balancing our schedules and priorities. Notice in Matthew 14 and verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. There would be times where Jesus would be into the evening, late hours, healing, teaching, but he also knew that his relationship with his heavenly father was first and foremost. And he would go into the, into the mountain, excuse me, to pray. 
and he would have those times alone. Our personal devotional life is so important, and our times with the Lord are vital. And all of these areas of ministry and service are wonderful and joyful. But we have to constantly, don't we, balance our schedules that we're not neglecting the main thing. That we are, if we're more of a Martha, we can't forget to have those Mary moments. And if we're more of a Mary, there's also times where we have to have a Martha moment and, and be busy doing and, and serving in some physical capacity or way. But the younger generation, many times they have been in broken homes, absentee fathers, they're craving attention. And they're trying to get it in every place they can. How many times have we seen a young lady who doesn't have a good example at home with her dad and doesn't have a good relationship with her dad? How many times have we seen a young lady go off with some jerk of a guy because he's the first guy that'll at least give her attention, right? And he's a grade A jerk and everybody's warning her, but she is just completely captivated with this man. And many times it goes back to a dad who didn't take time. Uh, for his daughter. There are other factors, I realize, but, you know, the next generation, many times, they, they, just, they just want a listening ear. They just want somebody to answer their questions, just somebody to talk to. I don't know how many times in, in school, it happens uh, in various ways, but I don't know how many times at school a kid would come in, and you just know within five minutes that they have had a rough day or a rough night or something has not gone well at home or in the car on the way. Sometimes you can tell if you're out on the car line and they get out of the car and you know things are not good. And what do they need sometimes? I mean, Kelly has had kids and their whole day is different just because they needed somebody to hug. And Kelly would go up and she'd just give them a big old hug and they would totally change their day. And they had just had a rough morning and then just you just look at them and you're, and you're you realize that they just need attention, the right kind of attention, the right kind of affection. And there's so many needs out there. And I feel like sometimes there's so many, we can't, we can't cover all the bases. But that biblical balance, and he answered, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy strength, and with all thy mind, thy neighbor as thyself. We love God and we love our neighbor. And we trust the Lord as we walk with him, for the Holy Spirit's leading and balancing those schedules and priorities. And then finally, a core value that we need to pass down is sincere approachability. We see the Apostle Paul who would preach strongly to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, wouldn't he? He would skin their hide, so to speak. And yet in 2 Corinthians 1, early on, as he is writing to them, having seen the repentance of that man who had lived with his stepmom, he says, for our rejoicing is this, even though he had all these issues with the Corinthian church, our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you were. But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. In other words, it wasn't wishy-washy. He said, I've been real and I've been transparent with you. I've come to you with honesty and with truth. Yes, I've had to be hard. I've had to speak the truth in love. I've had to skin your hide, so to speak, with some of the sins and in carnality. But he said, I did that because I loved you. Because I wanted you to 
grow in your relationship with God. But what was Paul saying, even down in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. You know, approachability, it comes in various practical ways. It comes, first of all, through character and credibility. We have to be a credible person. We have to have godly character. Or eventually there is going to be a lack of trust, isn't there? They're not going to want to come to us if they know that uh, we don't have the character and the credibility that they can trust. But we can't be a know-it-all. We need to be a good listener. Sometimes all they need is a listening ear. Sometimes we just have to accept their questions. Sometimes the questions come in disrespect. Sometimes the questions come in just all honesty. They just want to know. And if we just immediately shut them down and shoot them down, it's, it's usually not going to go well. There are times where they come with questions of disrespect and we have to step back and say, well, wait a minute here. Let's think about the way you just said that. How many times have we had to do that with our kids, right? Wait a second here. What did you just say? How did you just say that? 80% of your body, 80% of communication or somewhere around there is body language. They'll fix what they say, but their body language still says all the disrespect, right? And we have to work on those things. But sometimes just taking the time to listen out uh, and, and figure out what they're trying to say and, and not attack the person, but attack the problem can go a long way toward approachability and them being able to bring your questions and helping them think through and give them, giving them good answers. We can't be all about ourselves. We have to show people that we care. We have to be a helper. We have to take time with people. Uh, we have to give people hope. We have to acknowledge them. Um, you ever worked retail? I remember learning in retail. Long line. And somebody's at the cash register and there's an issue. And it just sometimes, all it takes is the rest of the people in line, you put your hand up and say, I'm sorry, we're dealing with something here. Or we call for help. Or we say, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll work on this. Or just acknowledging. Or somebody else comes into the store and we, we acknowledge, we'll be with you in just a moment. That goes a long way, doesn't it? But think about that in, in relationships. I know I have to do it as a pastor. I wish I could give everybody my undivided attention all the time in every way. And I can't. I don't mean anything rude sometimes when I walk past you while I'm on the way to talk to somebody else. I really don't mean to offend anybody when I, I'm on a mission to talk to somebody and I pass two or three people on the way. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for uh, questions that come. I wish I could give more time and, and answer sometimes, but I, I sometimes get text messages at five or six o'clock in the evening and sometimes I'm, I'm spending some time on the text message trying to answer a Bible question. I want to be approachable. But I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be that we have to be able to sometimes give answers and take a little bit of our time and, and just show that we care uh, just by taking the time and to trying to answer some questions. We can't be overly sensitive or easily offended. Um, I think it's important that we answer phone calls, text messages, and emails as much as we possibly can. Uh, we're always going to overlook one or miss one or not see something. But sometimes I think just an answer with, hey, thanks got it, or something, <laughs> to acknowledge uh, that we, we heard them out. Those are, those are things that are just maybe little social graces, but they help with approachability. If we can't answer the question, we say, well, let me check on that and I'll get back with you. Uh, maybe point them to a resource that could give them an answer. It comes down to serving others, being consistent as much as we can, keeping our word, being honest and gracious, trying to see people's perspectives without compromising on biblical truth. 
It comes down to sometimes admitting that we're wrong or we were wrong in that particular point. But how can we fix this together? How can we come together to fix this? I'm not just here to beat you down and to win the argument. I'm here to solve a problem. You brought this to my attention. Now, how can we work together to solve this? And again, attacking the problem and not the person. Sometimes is the problem worth the criticism? (laughs) Sometimes it's not, right? But sometimes we have to answer. Paul sometimes gave a defense. Second Corinthians, he will give a defense. Uh, Job even gave some defense to his friends who were giving some wrong counsel. We give that answer to that criticism, but we do it in a, in a gracious way, in a compassionate way. And we can defend ourselves, but obviously only up to a point, and then we have to, to trust the Lord. But I think young people, many times, the next generation, they've been shut down or they have not had good answers. They have been neglected and disrespected or overlooked, broken homes, whatever the case may be. Sometimes we can make a big difference as believers because we go a little further, take a little bit more time, we show that we care, and we give them answers from the truth, from the Word of God, which is our firm foundation, which truly meets their their greatest needs. So those are some core values we can pass on in our motives, godly motives, the next generation. We'll look at a couple more before we finish out this series, but I hope this has been a help and an encouragement to us. Thank you again for being here tonight. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for uh, these uh, practical truths that show us, Lord, how we can be motivated to help the next generation, Lord, see you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and then, Lord, to grow and to serve you and help us, Lord, to be good examples and to, with your help and by your grace, pass down these core values to the next generation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope that you have a great rest of the week and uh, look forward to being back together on Sunday.